All right, welcome back to the Tom Maffick Show. Uh, we have a very special guest here today for Las Vegas residents, especially who are uh, tuned into the local radio scene here in Las Vegas. We have formerly of ESPN 1100, currently of VEASAN, uh, the new Vegas Stats and Information Network located at the South Point. We have uh, JVT, Jonathan Von Tobel. Welcome, John. Thanks for having me, guys. This is actually really cool, so I'm excited. You make me feel uh, special. Yeah, well, we talked. Uh, <laughs> I mentioned to you off the air, like I listened to your last show on Friday. Yeah. For those of you that don't know, we have listeners that don't live in Las Vegas. JVT uh, recently just left a position as producer of the Steve Cofield and Company show on ESPN 1100, yep. uh, which I listened to in my car. ESPN 1100 is on, so I'm always listening to the shows and stuff. And on Friday, normal show at the end of the show, the last five minutes, I didn't know if it was a bit at first because normally sometimes <laughs> they, they mess around with you. And they're like, this is John's last show. We wish him well. You could clearly tell they didn't really want to say where you're going or weren't mm. allowed to say where you're going. I kind of put two and two together before I went on Twitter when you announced that you were moving on to this new venture. So um, for people that don't know your background or aren't normal listeners, you have a unique background when it comes to getting into sports media and uh, radio. So could you kind of tune in uh, listeners who haven't listened to ESPN 1100 before, what your journey was uh, getting into sports broadcasting and, and moving from the steps you've taken so far? Uh, well, it's kind of a long one. It's, uh, it's, I guess it's kind of interesting. You know, my first inkling to get into, I wanted to get into sports. Like, somehow I wanted to be in sports. And actually, when I got right out of high school, I actually coached peewee football. And I, I loved it. I loved every second of it. You know, we actually had the team improved. We got them good. Like, it was cool to watch kids go from not being able to do something, being actually really good. Like, I coached offensive line. Kids couldn't block for a lick. By the last game, they were opening holes. And it was just cool to watch them grow. And I wanted to coach. And so I actually started taking education classes. And I took my first actual sit-in class, you know, where you had to sit in with the teachers and everything. And I actually went back to, to Bishop Gorman, my old high school, and I hated it. I hated every second of it. I felt like I was back in school, you know, just sitting there listening to them drone on. And I'm sitting in the back taking notes like, I can't do this. It's, it's, it's boring. Um, and so I dropped that. And I thought, well, every day when I go out, when I'm driving, I, uh, I listen to sports radio. I like talking about sports. Uh, so why not give that a shot? And uh, I did. So I went down, started taking radio production classes, and um, sure enough, led to an internship um, over at ESPN 1100, and they seemed to like me, so it caught on. So the internship route, what were you doing um, previously? The people on the show know that, right? But literally, you were working at... Uh, oh, yeah. I was working at Starbucks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I left that they, detail. They always bring that up all the time on the show. Like it's, I mean, everybody has their start somewhere. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not a big deal. It's kind of interesting where you know any you guys talk about on the show, people call the time and think anybody can do this, anybody can talk about sports. You started off like anybody else in a regular mm -hmm. job, went and got the schooling, and then went out and got the experience. So the internship is what kind of opened the door for you, basically? Oh, yeah, big time. And, you know, it's funny because I, I was taking a radio production class, and the, the professor is actually Andy Kay, and that might be some familiar for Las Vegas. He actually used to be on the Comp 92.3 Morning Show, and he does 51 stuff. And, um, you know, he worked at Lotus. I know Andy Kay. There you go. That 51s, yeah. Yep, yep. So, uh, so Andy, you know, and Andy was a character, but, yeah. you know, I, I, I learned a lot from Andy. And uh, near the end of the semester, he, you know, he's like, you know, we have some internships open, and uh, one of them is for ESPN. And to be honest with you, when he first announced that, he was like, you know, go, everybody go home. You can apply tomorrow or anything like that. I didn't want to apply. I didn't think I was ready. Uh, I was nervous, didn't think I was going to be good for it. Uh, but I was like, you know, screw it. I'm going to sign up. So and I was the only one interested. And so uh, I got it. I got the internship. And uh, it's funny because the first day I walk in, you know, I guess I'm a little nervous because it's just these are professionals. These are guys I've been listening to since I was like 16, 17. 
And, you know, I walk into the first meeting, you know, there's C. Williams and Mitch Moss and, you know, Steve Cofield and everything. And I'm like, wow, this is kind of cool. And, uh, yeah, so the uh, the internship opened the door. And when I got there, I kind of – I didn't let it go, kind of. You know, I, they had the ESPN 1100 blog, and nobody wrote for it. It was kind of like some ancient site. So I was like, hey, can I start writing for this site? And so, oh, you know, I'm killing, I'm killing you guys. My girlfriend's blowing up my oh, phone right now. We're a very, very laid-back podcast. Yeah, okay. Uh, I, you know, I, I listened actually before I came in, so I thought you guys wouldn't get after me for that. All right. <laughs> um, so, I, and, you know, I was like, I texted, uh, I don't know if this name would be familiar, but Reynolds. I don't know if you yep. remember Reynolds. Sean Reynolds used to be the producer for Cofield yep. Company and uh, Sportsline, and he was my overseer when I was an intern. So I told him, I'm like, hey, you know, I'd like to start writing. Uh, he said, sure, go ahead. We don't do anything with the website, you know. Uh, and then that led to Cofield reading actually a piece of mine on the on the, on the the air, which was really cool. I thought that was awesome. And it kind of just snowballed from there. You know, I got Steve's ear once he read my piece, and I was kind of bugging him a lot. Uh, I bugged Mitch a lot. And, you know, you just I just let them know that I was there and that I wanted to do it, and it, and it took off. Yeah, a fellow Wisconsin native, Mitch Moss. So whatever yeah. fellow Wisconsin people know on our podcast. We have a lot of Wisconsin listeners. So um, Mitch is good. He's got uh, I have a few issues with his uh, his takes in the Packers sometimes. <laughs> Overall, and his Kentucky basketball love is very bizarre. It's weird, mind, right? And then yeah. he, loves the, he loves the Warriors, It'd too. It'd be like and being a UNLV yeah. fan, and then you're a fan of Arizona basketball big yeah. time. It's like, yeah, you know, when Arizona – when you, I love UNLV. I'm from there, mm-hmm. but I really love Arizona basketball. Yeah. It's like they're – yeah, I mean, for a long time, people, I'm more closer to Mitch's age, I guess, mm. and Wisconsin basketball sucked. So I get it that the fact that maybe he wasn't a fan as a kid because they weren't on TV and weren't good in Kentucky was. Yep. But I was always just uh, a straight up, I grew up in northern Wisconsin, I'm a straight up Badger. I went to Wisconsin, obviously. Okay. A big Badger fan. So Mitch Moss, we'll come to him later, actually. I have my <laughs> okay. so. so yeah, so you worked, how many, uh, how long did you work um, in other jobs? Because a lot of times you'd put in lots of extra work in radio, odd hours, things like that. Mm. So you have to like work your way up to get to the Cofield position, you said you caught uh, Steve's eye with the column and things like that. Yeah, uh, you know, it, I was an intern for about, I want to say four months, of course, unpaid, which mm-hmm. was awesome. So, you know, and I actually, during the time I started the internship, I actually quit Starbucks, transferred up to banquets at Red Rock. So I was working overnights, then going to school in the morning, then going to the internship. And, you know, it just, it took a lot of burning the candle on both ends kind of deal. Um, but no, I worked a lot of hours off the clock, obviously when it started for free. Um, a lot of it wasn't too bad though. You know, a lot of it was just sitting and learning like with Reynolds, um, writing in my free time. Um, a lot of it was spent at the actual station. Now, once I actually got hired, uh, I had to start as a remote technician. Remote technicians are, if you ever go out and visit your favorite radio station when they're on the road or anything, mm-hmm. the, the guys who set it up, set up the tent, set up the equipment. That was how I actually got started. You couldn't go straight into sports. Um, paying you your to, dues. Yeah, you had to pay your dues. And it's, it's funny because uh, usually you're supposed to be at, at Lotus, the way I was told it worked, uh, which is where ESPN 1100 is. Um, I was told that you had to serve a year as a remote tech uh, before you can move on. But Sean Reynolds, the guy I was just mentioning, uh, he decided that it was time, time for him to move on. He actually moved up to Portland. Mm-hmm. And so they had an opening in sports. I had been working under Reynolds. And so they kind of just yanked me about – three months after I had officially been hired. So it took about six months to actually move to the sports programming side, uh, at least getting paid for it. Um, so once so once Sean left, it kind of opened the door for me. Uh, the bosses, the program director had actually just changed at the time. So Julie Samuelson was my boss. Uh, Todd, damn, I can't remember Todd's name. I'm sorry, Todd. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure he's listening. A funny story real quick. I know it's a laid-back podcast to tell you, tell you about Todd. One day in the break room, Todd was eating a Dairy Queen ice cream, and I was looking for a fork because I had a cup of noodles and he's like oh you need something and swear to god the dude pulls a spoon out of his dairy queen 
licks it clean. He's like, here, you can use oh. this. I'm like, nah, Todd, I'm okay. It's like a test or something? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like, no, okay. like, <laughs> but, uh, but Todd had just quit, and so Julie Samuelson took over, and Julie gave me my first shot. And so, uh, you know, she trusted in me, and I, I was actually, you know, when I, during the transition from Todd to Julie, again, you know, I was in her ear telling her how much I wanted to do everything. Uh, I did volunteer some weekends to work off the clock when it came to just helping out with the blog and, and a little bit of audio and things like that. So, you know, I, I kind of, she knew that I was there. And then they officially transferred me over to uh, ESPN Programming, uh, where I was a blogger for a little bit. But then Chuck Ojeda, another mm-hmm. name from yep. the past, oh, yeah. who was at the time after Reynolds left, Cofield's producer, uh, trained me on the board. And took about three months. And to be honest with you, I wasn't supposed to be training on the board. I told Chuck. I'm like, Chuck, train me on the board. I want to do it. You know, show me. And he showed me. Once I was done, when I, once I felt comfortable, I actually went to Julie and told her, hey, I know how to run a board now, so if you ever need me to take over uh, Sportsline, which Chuck was running as well, so he's running two shows. So I got in her ear, and she's like, you know, that's a good idea. And uh, once, I, uh, once I did that, they put me on Sportsline, and that's where I started, so from 2 to 3 in the afternoons. I started on the Las Vegas Sportsline. as my first job as a producer. That's the Koken show? Yep, Dave Koken that's and Matt my, Humans. I love the Koken show, and that's yeah. actually – that's not the one that's independently owned. That's the eleven, the ten o'clock one. The uh, actually Bell now one. they're both they're independently both owned. Yep, yep. So that's how Matt Humans can be still on ESPN eleven hundred and the new. Yep, it's, it's a barter show, so it's his deal. Uh, he's been on lately, so I don't know if he's like maybe make. He's only really writing for Vsin for right now, gotcha. so I think he's going to be sticking on Sportsline for the time being. Gotcha. I knew it was separate with the ownership and things like that. Mm-hmm. That's cool. So basically, a combination of effort, right time, right place. Yep. Putting you know because I always tell people like how do you get into it? I always tell people part of it's who you know. Mm-hmm. And putting the effort, so they see, like Cofield saw you do something good. He read your stuff. It's like this guy knows what he's talking about. I'm interested. Mm-hmm. You know, it's putting yourself out there. It's you know, we talk about this all the time. How do you get into sports? You can't just sit around. You have to do things off the clock. Not your regular job. You know, this isn't our regular job either. It's fun. Like I tell people, yeah. you said writing columns and things. It's always it doesn't seem like work when it's fun to do things. Oh, like of course that. Not. And you're like doing this stuff. So no, it was it was some of the funnest times. I remember one of my first pieces I actually wrote when we had Dave Rice still and. Yep. Um, it was around the time where the tide was kind of turning on him and people were kind of getting sick of him. We'll get so, to that. Yeah, yeah. So I wrote a, you know, my, one of my first pieces and actually got a lot of web, con- a lot of web hits because it was about UNLV. You know, people out here, they go crazy for UNLV, especially when they're actually decent back then. Oh, yeah. Back then, it was like 2012, <laughs> yeah. you know, but uh, uh, I wrote a piece. It was Dave Rice's top 10 victories at, of his UNLV career and people loved it. They actually, they, they liked it. They were sharing it and everything. And so, you know, it's, it's a combination of also just trying to, you know, you got to kind of nick a vein, essentially. You got to get in there with people and know what they're going to read or going to do so that you can get kind of traction and content. And, you know, I wrote a couple of pieces that people didn't like. And some people were calling me, like, you know, just stupid intern who wants to make his name. But, you know, it got out there. I've, I always think any sort of response is good. So oh, if it's course, negative, yeah. positive, great. In fact, I wish more people, we don't get enough negative responses. I wish, yeah. maybe we're not doing enough to piss people off and stuff like that. But yeah, sometimes uh, you have to. Sometimes yeah. you have to. Yeah. And I've noticed also when I write my columns, people love the lists or the rankings. Mm-hmm. And not to be clickbaitish where you have to click through, but it's, seems like if you say you know I, my last column was i ranked the top 27 quarterbacks that lost the super bowl and never won one okay because everybody's talking about brady being the goat who you know to rank our quarterbacks is like you know what people don't talk about is the guys who lose and then don't win one so like peyton manning brett Favre, they're not in the list because they won mm-hmm. one even though they lost one there's only 27 guys yeah. who have actually lost super bowl so i ranked them number one was jim kelly i i did it based upon a combination of how they perform in the game in their career so most people would say marino but i had marino three because i considered it 
harder for a quarterback to mm. go to four straight Super Bowls and lose than to win one even. Yeah. So I know what you mean when it comes to finding your voice in the column. And for me, being like a Bill, a big Bill Simmons fan, try not to rip off people you like when you listen to things on the radio or you read comms. You're like, man, am I starting to sound like this person? Mm. You know, things like that. So it's 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 good that you know you kind of find your voice when it comes to writing columns and things like that. Yeah, and actually, I before I really um, started getting really heavy into radio. Uh, my first goal was actually going to be a, a writer. Like, I had this stupid dream, like, ah, pro football writer, Hall of Fame. I like yep. that. You know, that's going to be cool. And I actually started my own little website. It was during my internship. I called it the All-American Sports page. Uh, I actually stopped paying for it, so I think it's deleted <laughs> or something. Domain's over. Cost me a pretty penny, too. But, hey, you make pretty good money at Starbucks. So I was actually yeah. shelling somebody out. But uh, <laughs> uh, I wrote this, like, really long piece about Don Coriel wanting, like, he should be in the Hall of Fame. And I broke down, you know, how he how he uh, implemented the new play-calling system and how, he, how modern offenses now are really predicated about what he really started to do with offense and Dan Fouts and everything and um, yeah I really wanted to write a lot and so I actually it helped that I had started doing stuff in my own free time as well because then I just kind of was already in the groove and doing things so I was like okay well let me just that's why I started asking let me just transfer this some of this stuff over and start writing because I'd already been doing it yeah yeah and so how long did you work once you got in that position with Cofield and company for the people that don't listen to the show mm-hmm. how long was were you the uh, lead producer for that program Friday, I guess. Uh, let's see. So I started, I'm trying to think of my timeline here. 2012, I believe. No, it hasn't been that long, has it? When, no, it was 23. So 2013. Okay, that makes so more basically sense. Basically about three years ish. Yeah, so about three years. This, that December of 2013 is when I got officially onto Cofield and Company as a producer. Gotcha. And as the show went on, the show changed. Obviously, there was Adam Hill. First, it was used to be back then we talked about off the air, uh, DC and the Sunshine mm-hmm. Man, which I listened to. I thought was awesome. I'm a big yep. Dave Koken fan. And then that show, they split that off into Koken doing his gambling hour and then it was Cofield and company with rotating guests but ends up really being that Adam Hill and Taylor Byrne were basically the two main guests that they always had and then as time went on you would get more and more mic time where if one of them are gone or both of them are gone Steve would go to you and basically co-host how was that were you nervous kind of when saying all right I'm behind the board doing this stuff occasionally saying a few things to now I have to talk for three hours with this audience that kind of knows who I am busting Mm -hmm. my balls emails tweets calls and yeah of course so was it nervous was it natural for you how, how'd that go um for a while was i was i was actually i wasn't really comfortable opening the mic for a while it was kind of nerve-wracking because you know you do have to run the board you have to answer calls you have to make sure commercials play you can you know play sound you have to do a lot of stuff behind the scenes uh during an actual show especially as a producer um and you know when i first got on the show I wasn't allowed to open the mic, and so you know you had to kind of warm up to Steve like a little a bit. Dutch guy, yeah, like Dutch, exactly, <laughs> like Dutch. Sorry, um, but uh, you know you had to warm up a little bit to Cofield, and you know the first time I ever cracked open my mic, I don't know if you heard on Friday the, the final show, but uh, it was actually because they were on the road. I they were talking about something about Russell Wilson, and I was like, man, you guys, I I, I didn't like their takes, so I messaged down to him. You know, be a little chat system. I messaged down to him my little ta- my little take, and I'm like, eh, you know, don't you guys think this? And so he was like, all right, we'll, we'll, when we come back, we can do that. And that was the first time. And I think what happened was I didn't sound moronic when I came out. So then from there, Kofi was like, okay, you know, the guy's not a total idiot. Let's you know yeah. give him a little bit more time progressively. And then uh, yeah, I mean, to be honest with you. A lot of my co-hosting at first came out of necessity. Like you mentioned, when Taylor and Adam were both gone, we didn't really have a big pool of co-hosts to dip into. Um, So it was more out of necessity sometimes. But uh, I learned how to roll with Steve's punches, and I think that's what really – really kind of put me out there and actually helped me kind of get integrated with the show a lot a lot easier 
uh, because as you mentioned, a lot of ball busting and a lot of going back and forth. And I, you know, when he would come at me, I would actually go back at him, you know, and, and I think that's what really helped is really getting yeah. the vibe of the show and kind of gelling with them. And yeah, eventually just turned into me co-hosting, you know, the last really took off this last, I would say year, six months. And like when Cofield at Steve and, or when Cofield, Adam and Taylor were all gone, I would actually host a show with a, uh, Frank Harnish, Ballpark yep. Frank, as he's known on the airways. Uh, you know, I would actually do the hosting, and uh, they seemed to trust me, so I guess it was okay. Didn't get any complaints. That's awesome. So, yeah. And Cofield, he's, if you're not familiar, if you're not a Vegas guy or a local that listens to the show, he likes to bust balls. Oh, yeah. He likes to get a little angry. It's kind of, a, it's you know, I, I think he's awesome. I like his takes for the most part. He kind of has that angry New Jersey sort yeah. of like stick sort of thing. But at the same time, he like, you know, you can tell it's kind of half stick, half, you know, yeah. uh, you know, busting your balls and seeing it, you could take it. You, you know, I'm sure he's had guys in there that he's broken before because they don't know how to handle that. You being able to roll with it and like, all right, this guy knows he's got a good sense of humor. Mm. I like his takes. I'm going to trust him to be on the air. So I think it's a testament to your talent that he was a guy who might be considered tough on some people based upon his personality on the radio. Yeah. He kind of warmed up to you and gave you lots of freedom and trusted you with his show with his name on it. Yeah, we tease him about the Soul Crusher bit a little bit. You know, he can be he can be a little uh, militant at times, but no, you know, it's always good to work under those kind of pressure and that kind of pressure um, because you know if you can handle that while you're doing everything and and then getting your chops busted and everything, then you can probably handle a lot of high you know high stress situations at least a little bit. But at least when it comes to radio, not when it comes to like life and death or anything. <laughs> yeah. But uh, with you know with Steve, it's. Uh, Man, I completely forgot what I was going to say. But, you know, it was it was a good experience. But, I oh, that's what I was going to go with. It wasn't all rainbows and butterflies. I did snap quite a few times. And, I noticed that a couple yeah, times. You know, and it happens. But but the cool thing is, is when you know you have a good group of people, when I can snap, scream at you, tell you to F off, and you're, getting, you're pissing me the F off, and shut up. Uh, and then in five minutes later, after commercial break, everything's back, and we can joke and everything. You know, you know you have a good group. And that was the cool thing about Steve and Adam, even Taylor, uh, you know, they were ball busters, but they also understood that when you snapped, then, you know, everything will be right back to normal the next. And that's how you, and, you know, you got a good group and you got a good show. It makes for good radio. Like yeah. natural conflict is not, a, it's not sticky. It's, 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 it's natural. It's coming from you, what your mm-hmm. feelings are, what their feelings are. And I like that in radio. Like I'm a big fan of the Lebertard show. Yeah. And I feel like that show is natural. A lot like yours, you guys talk about sometimes your previous show, I should say kind of similar sort of people get upset at the Levitard show for not talking about sports. You guys often didn't talk about sports and I'm sure it's the same people calling to bitch that, you know, calling yeah, the Levitard show. So I, I, I enjoyed the realness of the show and kind of the interaction between you guys. So uh, moving on from that, let's talk about your new endeavor. Um, if your people aren't aware, Brett Musburger moved out here. Uh, it was a fairly big national story. Started his own uh, network, radio network, online presence. It's mm-hmm. going to be a website as well. Uh, VSIN, V-S-I-N as an acronym. And uh, tell us a little bit about how you're approached, if it was a smooth transition, things like that, um, and uh, what your role will be for them going forward. Uh, so they, they approached me. Uh, it was actually one of the cooler things. You know, it's I've never been approached about a job. Obviously, I'm always, you know, going around, applying, can I get this, can I get this? And so, you know, when you're actually, like, coveted by a group, it's kind of cool. Um, so, you know, they approached me, and it took a, it, it was a big decision, to be honest with you. You know, this uh, ESPN 1100 was the first job in radio, you know. And um, to me, it was a big jump because I wasn't entirely sure. You know, I had something really good at ESPN. I was growing. I was covering UNLV football. I did pregame. I did UNLV basketball postgame. And I was just really growing into my role. People were really kind of connecting to me. Um, But I really looked at Vegas Stats and Information Network, and I I saw a really good opportunity, something to get in on the ground floor, something that could potentially be uh, really cool. 
And so it took a lot of debating here and there. And, you know, I did include like Steve and Adam in, in my talks because they are friends at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. And Steve's worked in the business forever. And they really helped me out with a lot of stuff and eventually decided when something comes to you, that's kind of a good, a good opportunity, at least got to try. And that's what I've been doing this whole time. You know, I, I wanted to get out of Starbucks. So I decided to take a leap and go and just, you know, get hardcore into school and really get into the internship and it turned into something good. And, and so I thought, well, maybe this will be the same thing. Um, so I took it and put in the two weeks. We kind of kept it quiet as you know, and then, yeah. you know, moved on. It was pretty smooth, relatively smooth. Um, but my role, I'm going to essentially be the same role, uh, Probably a little bit more behind the scenes as we get it going. I'm going to be Brent Musser's producer. Uh, my my guys in the desert, I believe is what it's called. I'm still getting all my info straight. <laughs> uh, but I'll be Brent's producer. We had a preview show Super Bowl Sunday, which I think went really well. It's really cool. I know we talked about this off the air, but yeah. Brent, obviously being a legend, and uh, all I've known about is just all the calls, and you, you hear him on TV all the time. And I'm with you. You know, I've been to the Las Vegas Bowl quite a few times and shared an elevator with him and Jesse Palmer, and it's just, oh, wow, you know, it's Brent Musburger. And so Super Bowl Sunday comes around, and I've, I, I already met him, and to be able to tell him what to do all the time, it's pretty cool. It's a cool jump. Uh, but I'll be a behind-the-scenes producer. Uh, they envision a Danette, kind of Dan Patrick role for me. Yeah. And then eventually it's 24 hours of programming, so hopefully maybe there's a slot for me uh, down the role or down the road, excuse me. Uh, but right now I like my role. I, I like being a producer. I like being able to essentially guide silently how everything goes and then just being able to watch your work. And, you know, you put the more talented guys in front, you kind of set it up for them and then just keep it on the track, and they do a good job with it, and I like doing that. I like what Mike Ryan does for the Levitard show. He's a great yeah. you know, on-air where he does the mixture. He's very involved in the show. And he's setting up everything behind the scenes mm-hmm. uh, for people. That, that's basically what JVT does for the show. He's the main guy. You can hear guests. a good producer yeah. on a show. You'll, you'll know when you listen. It's through imaging. It's through music, drops, sound, everything like that. A good producer can make his mark without even being on the mic. And is so. your, part of your job booking guests, obviously, yep. things like that? Yeah, booking guests, all the good stuff uh, that I like to do. I actually, that booking guests, to be honest with you, is one of the toughest things I had to get used to because I feel like such an ass calling people. You know, and they, how'd you get my number? I've never gotten, how'd you get my number? Uh, but I do get people's cell phone numbers through other outlets. And then I just give them a call or shoot them a text like, hey, we'd like to have you on. And <laughs> I, I felt really nervous calling people at first because I thought I would get the, how'd you get my number? Who the hell are you? But it, it actually wasn't that bad. But yes, booking guests uh, will be part of the role. That's part of what, when I booked you, the same thing. Yep. I said, I just sent you a message. I listened to the show and you're like talking about reaching out to Cofield via Twitter. So I'm like, hey, mm-hmm. we have a podcast. Sounds like he has some stuff to say about his new job to promote, you know, the new network and everything. Let's get him on. I sent you a, a message and then I uh, sent you an email. I didn't hear back from you at first. I was like, oh, man, did I uh, piss this guy off? But you actually uh, had a little snafu with your email. Yeah, yeah so. I was a junk mail. So <laughs> it, I, I don't have an email address at the moment. So I, I, I had to go with that one. I got lost and I thought I hit reply. That's all right. I was like, okay, well, it sounded like he was excited. So the yeah. same thing, like you go through, it's like, did I bother him by... You know, I was like, oh, send him a text here. You know, it's like whatever. It's like, I listen to him on the radio. I think, you know, he's, he's pretty chill. So it's like, you know, but I get where that would be difficult. So did you ever have like an uncomfortable situation? You said no, really uncomfortable situations. Were there every one time that I get it was uncomfortable either booking them or after you booked them? Or has everything been pretty smooth when it comes to booking a, hmm. a fairly famous Vegas you person know, or something? I'll, I don't know if I want to say their name. Let's just say a former running rebel. Okay. Right. A recent former running rebel. I'll put it that. that. Uh, but I had gotten his number. Um, through a third party. And so I texted him. I'm like, hey, man, we'd love to have you on. Uh, you just left. So it's a couple, you know, I'll let you guess who it is, but you just <laughs> left for the NBA. Excuse me. <laughs> uh, so there's about five guys you yeah, can Yeah, it could right? be a lot of guys. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. So so he says yes. He actually he texts back, sure, love to do it. Okay, cool. I'm going to give you a call at this time. Yada, yada, yada. Final guest booking. So give him a call at the time that we're expecting him. Doesn't answer. 
usually happens sometimes with guests, especially when you go to the app, more to the athlete side, they're, mm-hmm. they're busy or sometimes they just don't care. Hell, media people are like that too. I, I shouldn't even just put that on the athletes. <laughs> that was unfair of me. Um, so he doesn't answer. So, okay, I guess he doesn't answer. Sometimes it falls through. That's fine. That was on a Friday. On Monday morning, so the weekend passes, I get a text from him. He's like, hey, man, I was waiting for your call. What happened? I'm like, I, I called you. This is the number, right? And I texted him back. He's like, yeah, it's the number. So I'm like, okay, well, my fault. Maybe that's my fault. Obviously, I'm the producer. I want him on the show. Yep. So I'm like, my fault, my fault. I, I'll, I'll give you another call. Can we set it up again? Yeah, sure. Today's fine. Or tomorrow, sorry. Tuesday, 530. Let's do it. Okay, cool. So send him a text the day of, hey, we're going to give you a call at this time just to be sure so he knows. I don't get a text back, which is already the sign of trouble. So then we call again. I call again. No answer. So I'm like, man, what is going on? Why is this guy doing this? So here's the kicker. So I leave him a voicemail. Hang up. When you call from the studio phone, the caller ID shows up actually as the front desk line. So when they call back, the call goes to the front oh, desk. Okay. So maybe five minutes pass, and our receptionist comes in, and she's like, hey, I have so-and-so on the phone. Um, they were calling back. And I'm like, oh, cool. You know, let me, I'm going to call him right now. So I call him. No answer again. And so I text him, and I'm like, hey, man. I'm like, we're ready for your spot. And he just said, he, he texts me back and he says, okay. So I call him again, no answer. And I just gave up. And I'm like, screw you, dude. I don't know if you're, he asked, I don't know if he's messing with me on purpose. I don't know what the issue was, but there was just some disconnect. And I was like, all right, I'm out of here. So that was the most, I guess, dramatic yeah, uh, you, when it comes to guest book. Reaching out to people that you don't know as always, you know, and, like, yep. and, you, and it's typically you do know, like, you know, of them, Vegas, local people, think mm-hmm. people here. And you're like, okay, I kind of have an idea of how they'll act. Athletes sometimes don't, aren't. As they seem, you know, you yeah. say like that, or people on the radio are completely different than they are in regular and in, in real life. So that's cool. Um, good transition into uh, some UNLV talk here. I'd like to get your take. Yeah. I know you're a Las Vegas native. I work for UNLV. Actually, technically, I have a, a master's degree from UNLV, but I don't. I consider myself a Badger, as people know on this podcast. But I do hope that UNLV does well. Um, but I consider myself like a realistic observer, where of course, uh, you know. When I worked at UNLV, there was, uh, it was the Dave Rice era. He just got hired. Mm-hmm. It was a big deal. We were selling tickets. Anthony Bennett was here. Everybody was great. Then there was some discourse. So being a, a, a lifelong Vegas uh, resident and a fan of the Rebels, what is your take on how the fan base has reacted to the last five years? And I'm going to preface this by saying we've talked in the show as Vegas being a front-running town, as in unless you're winning, yeah, they're not going to come out. And there were people that said – Dave Rice isn't winning enough. You get rid of Dave Rice, we're coming, we'll come, we're coming back. Yeah. So what? what's your take on the state of the Rebels, people living in the past, people living in 1990 still? What's your take on um, where the program is now and what they need to do going forward? That's uh, kind of a loaded question. Yeah, there's, there's a lot in there. Um, I guess I don't want to start with the fan. I've drawn a lot of ire from the fan base because I, I essentially agree with the front right, Rightfully so. You know, it's, it's kind of tough. And as you mentioned, the, Dave's last year – all you heard was, if you fire them, we'll start showing up. And now it's, <laughs> if they're good, we'll start showing up. And you, you can't do that. Eventually, as a fan base, my theory is this when it comes to the fan base. You've been, you've been clamoring for change, even though it's funny that once the change is made, they're like, oh, we didn't want this. Yeah. You, you'll hear that a lot. And that fans, for the most part, were clamoring for change. Boosters, of course, were, which played a role. But the university said, okay, we will give you that change that you want. It's your turn to start showing out. And fans do have an impact on the growth of a program. I mean, Mendenhall Center can only do so much. But when you have guys showing up 
and there's only 6,000 at the Thomas and Mack Center, and they're on their official visit, yep. and they're deciding whether they want to come here or Arizona. And they weren't right? born in 1990, so they don't know. Exactly. They've heard about it, but they, didn't, they weren't alive to see that. I'm sorry, but nobody cares. Yeah, exactly. Right? Especially kids nowadays. They don't care. No. Uh, but you, fans have an impact. They do. And you, you need to start at least kind of showing. It's not like tickets are crazy expensive either. No. Start showing up a little bit more and supporting them. And They're not that good, but I think, to be honest with you, what Marvin Menzies has going on right now I think it's actually kind of cool because, yes, they're not good this year, but you get to watch something grow from the bottom floor all the way up. So when you're five years from now, if you've been going to the Thomas and Mack Center and if you've been watching these crappy games, I've watched every single one up until actually last you know, last week. I missed – or just the last game. I missed um, – San Diego yeah, – San Jose State. No, no, San Jose State uh, – they just no, lost, uh, they lost uh, – Yeah, no, no, it's San Jose State. Excuse me. Look, I've, yeah. I've been out for a week. I, I took a week off. <laughs> it's okay. You're off. Um but, uh, you know, that was the last game I didn't watch. But think about it. When you're watching them lose their sixth straight game to San Jose State in five years from now when they're maybe pressing for a sweet 16 spot and they're in the second round and they're, they're battling it out, like, it will be worth it uh, down the road. And you can have an impact on that. You can start showing up and maybe get that one recruit and say, like, wow, you know, the, the home environment was really cool. Well, they, have a, they have an amazing basketball facility that USA, you know, USA basketball uses on yeah, every single time when they awesome, come in here. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Men Hall Center is amazing. The NBA Summer League uses it when they come here. I mean, so there's lots of stuff. This program could be really good, but I think the fans do have a little bit more of a role than they like to think they do. My theory is... Tark years were the best and the worst thing that ever happened, you know, Aviv, mm. because it raised the expectations up so high where people that were here, they think of, there's certain fans that still think of themselves as a Duke level. They're like, we're UNLV, we're here. It's like, you're a nice mid-major. Your goal should be to be like Gonzaga or St. Mary's, mm. in my opinion. You know, you can be a power, you can be basketball centric but at the same time that time is gone college basketball is different than it was then that was a once in a lifetime coach a once in a lifetime opportunity Mm -hmm. and the expectations were set so high where it's like we expect to be in the tournament every year when or be a 21 team when in fact hasn't happened recently where it should be like you said marvin menzies he's he's gotten some shit lately but he's building a foundation Yes, he's not going to get the one and done probably right now. He might get a few later on, but he's building guys who are going to stay here three or four years. And part of the problem, I think, was that we recruited here at UNLV. I said we. I guess like a little bit of a rebel. So we recruited, I'll say it again, with the intentions of, right, you know, one and dones, but that actually didn't build a good base of the program. And we had these 18-win teams, and even though the Mountain West isn't very strong, weren't going very far. And that's what people got, I think, a little bit. Frustrated under Dave Rice saying, I read these reports that say we have five of the top 50 recruits. Why aren't we mm-hmm. going to the Final Four? Yeah. And it's unrealistic expectations, in my opinion. You need to scale it down a little bit. Let's build our way up. Let's focus on just winning 20 games, go, winning the Mountain West first mm-hmm. before we get crazy here and try to say we're going back to the Final Four. Baby steps, you know. But And also there's another point I always make with people is you're the – uh, exception you're from las vegas most of the people from here are from somewhere else and are fans of something else so that that deep i'm a badger fan i'm a packer fan i was born in wisconsin mm-hmm. that was in me for my parents and my family there's other people who are here are kansas fans or carolina fans or somewhere else they might live here and root for unlv but they're not deep seated in that in that in that fandom if that makes sense because kind of a transient town yeah. no one's really from here still even even though it's you know it's getting better in that regard with people the population grain so i have a couple of theories on that you know combination of high mm-hmm. expectations uh, a unique fan base that there really isn't a college campus in town and no it's everybody's from somewhere else and has different loyalties that lie somewhere else so 
in general, you need to have a winner, but at the same time, if you can build it the right way and sustain it, it might be more beneficial and you know able to last. So yeah, I just, and Menzies, I think Menzies is going to be a good coach. I, I think, think so too. Be, and you, like, granted, they're not very good this year, but if you've watched game to game to game, you see little improvements with players. You know, guys like Jovan Mooring, who started the year as just a pure scorer and couldn't really get his feet under him, especially as a point guard, has become you would argue this team's best player. When he has a bad game, they have a terrible game. When he has a good game, they have the best chance to win. Uh, so you just look at little things. Shake Nadembele, for example, they're a freshman big. I mean, he has developed from a guy who couldn't even catch a post pass to someone who can actually now somewhat back you down and turn. And I actually saw him hit a mid-range jumper a couple games ago. So he's he, you see players develop. Yeah. And I like that for Menzies. And, you know, they're not running anymore, which some people have an issue with. But, hey, if you can play really good defense and still win games, I think you'll take that. Yeah, and that's why I tell people it's, you know, the, the little things, the having a player stay for three or four years. Mm-hmm. And that way, like you said, see him grow, you know, and then other players come here and you I felt like the teams from 2012 were so like every year it was different players. Mm-hmm. You had Anthony Bennett's leave. You had, obviously, last year your Big Zims and your Derek Jones's leave. You never had any stability. You never had those team leaders. You had your mm-hmm. Anthony Marshalls. You had your Oscar Belfields and things like that, that guys that stayed. Yep. But there were few and far between as we got further away from that Lon Kruger era and into the more of the Dave Rice era. So... It'll be interesting to see next year if Dave Rice is the head coach at Reno. If, if Musselman gets that, will be a big, hilarious. I'll, I'll laugh to see the reaction online with Rebel fans because I I feel I feel like they pulled the trigger too soon on him. I think that they obviously you shouldn't have fired him during midseason. Mm-hmm. If you're gonna do it, do it at the end of the season, but have a plan. They clearly didn't have a plan. They thought maybe we'll get Rick Pitino, maybe we'll get you know I hear you know Steve Lavin. All these retreads yep. tossed out. They did. There was not much of a plan other than the fan base is angry. Let's dump it on someone for mm-hmm. six months to a year, and now the heat's coming back on Tina Kunzer Murphy and the administration. They're losing money. The report that came out that they're losing yeah, money five million dollars. Five million like doesn't surprise me from working there. Yeah, money. but uh, yep. so I think it'll be interesting to see. I agree with you that Mendes has built something. The the question will be: Will they give them? Will the fan base give him enough time before the pitchforks come out again for him here? Although, oh, they have to. Do yeah. people do people care enough to get the pitchforks out? That's what I'm saying. Now it's like teams like yeah. it might be good for him that it's kind of quelled. Whereas in if they were kind of in that mid range, people would be kind of calling for his head. But since they're so bad right now, and it gives them time to kind of go under the radar, and then all of a sudden those bandwagon jumpers will be back on. Hopefully in a few yeah, years. So. We actually when I was at ESPN, we did Rebel Extra, which was after every Rebel game. We took calls on the outcome, everything, and it's funny because this year nobody cares. It's, yeah. Nobody cares at all. And when they do call in, it's uh, Menzies. He got a late jump, hired in April, couldn't get the best recruiting class. It's not really talented. So this year's a wash. People don't really care. I think by year three, obviously, if you start seeing people, if they don't really make strides, I guess, towards challenging for at least, I don't know, a top seed in the Mountain West or even the regular season title. Some people are crazy. Yeah. Uh, I think it'll take a little bit longer than that. But um, maybe about the year three, they'll start people, people will start calling for a head. But, you know, I think you need at least give them five years. Yeah. To be honest, you need to give them all five. Uh, it takes time to build a program, especially when one has been gutted like UNOB has over the last year and a half. Yeah, and uh, speaking of programs that are uh, actually the reverse, it's kind of hilarious now that UNOB football is kind of flipped positions yeah. with basketball. Traditionally, UNOB football was the whipping boy for fans. When mm-hmm. I worked at the ticket office, we used to call people and they used to laugh at me to buy football tickets. It's like they'd, they'd give me 8 million excuses on why they didn't want to come out there. You know, the games suck. The parking lot is dirt. The stadium yeah. is terrible. You heard, I heard every excuse in the book to why they didn't want to come out. But Rebel Basketball, everybody wanted to come out. Mm-hmm. Now we're see, seeing kind of the Slowly. pendulum turn a little bit. And you said you were a Bishop Gorman alum. So what are your thoughts on Tony Sanchez when he's done uh, going to year three this year, uh, his first two years at the helm as the head man at UNLV? 
he's definitely done more than a lot of other coaches have, right? I mean, the fact that he can get that Fertitta football complex built is yep. a huge deal. I think that's awesome. Uh, he's definitely done something different in terms of driving interest into the program. It's not at an all-time high yet. There were still some really disappointing home games in terms of attendance. I believe it was Wyoming where it was just almost empty, uh, and which turned out to be an amazing game. It was a triple over, yep. quadruple overtime, something ridiculous, 66 <laughs> to 69. Yep. Uh, UNLV actually won that game and it was against a really good team. Um, so he's driven interest up. His terms is on the field, in terms of on the field, if I can speak. Um, it's definitely been interesting to watch, especially when I did a lot more UNLV football coverage this year and in terms of in-depth coverage. And, you know, with Tony, I think he's doing a really good job, but there's some times where you kind of just scratch your head with the team and you're like, man, well, what's going on? They should be better in some positions. I mean, for example, mm-hmm. your, your defense, that was a big killer for him this year. The Idaho, Idaho game. Huh? The Idaho game early in the uh, year. The right? Idaho game. And, and, you know, it's funny with that one is people were like, ah, oh, Idaho was a good team. It wasn't that they lost to Idaho. It was the way, the way they, they lost we to Idaho. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and when you keep giving up deep bombs and just letting Linehan's son, I can't remember what his name is, but just throw, just pinpoint, not even pinpoint, you would just chuck him up yep. and guys would go get him. And that was an issue for him all year long. So in terms of on the field, you would think that they were further along, uh, I, I would think, uh, especially this year. They were in a lot of games. They could have won quite a few. I mean, there were some games where you look at they could have won seven games this year, I think, if they were they were that close, you know. Yeah. Um, but I think they're in the right direction. It, this year is going to be the big one because you have Armani Rogers coming in at quarterback, yep. so that's like his guy. He was the redshirt freshman. Yep. Was he a JUCO transfer? Uh, no, no, no. He's actually he's he was an actual freshman. true freshman. Yeah, uh, he was committed to Cal. Decommitted okay. from Cal. Big dude, then, right? Uh, yeah, he's actually very Randall Cunningham esque. I've been out a couple practices last year, and but not you know, skinny. He's pretty yeah uh, he, he was a little skinny but he's added on weight the, the since i've heard yeah and uh, yeah he's about like i want to say six five uh he's got a rocket arm he's got a little bit of speed so he, i mean he's their guy and they have a young wide receiving core yep. uh boyd's gonna be back yep so you know they're actually there's going to be some talent and don't even get you started on the, the offensive line and the running backs are amazing so next year is going to be the year if they don't challenge for six wins i mean you already had some people at the back end of the year especially with that reno game calling yeah. for him to get fired which is a little <laughs> ridiculous um but it also shows that people care, right? Yeah, I mean, no, uh, how many people would really care about, you know, you want to be football? Ah, fire. People really don't care. So they'd be just like, ah, whatever. Let them contract play out. Let's go find somebody else maybe. Uh, so people are starting to care about the program. Um, but I think this is the year where if you don't start really challenging for six wins and maybe in this day and age, if you don't get to a bowl, which you, you could be five and seven, have a good mm-hmm. APR and get in. Uh, if he's not challenging for a bowl spot this year, I think you're going to see a lot of people – uh, clamoring for it, especially after some people weren't really enthused about this latest recruiting class. Yeah, I, I will say this, that I, I thought maybe that Sanchez was very, and his staff was very um, committed to the fashion sense. Mm-hmm. They had, you know, the jerseys, the helmets, the coaching staff. Everything all, you need to get kids, though. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I, I thought that was a good move because when people come out, as weird as this for some people to understand how college football recruiting works, they're into the different three different helmets. They're into the, you know, the gear. They're into that that image, the look of mm-hmm. looking cool. And he did that at Gorman, where Gorman had ridiculous yep. high school football uniforms, at different one every game, right? Probably mm-hmm. almost like we're talking helmets, the whole deal. So he brought that Gorman kind of style and swag over to UNLV, which I thought they were missing under previous coaching staffs. Of course. So I thought that was a big deal. And I, so I like what he was doing there. But I think, you know, they're looking the part, like you said, but now it's time to deliver on the field. And this is the third year where um, I think that, you know, it's make or break, not necessarily make or break where he it's, this is your, you need to go to a bowl, you're fired, 
but as in let's show some improvement, like you said, let's mm-hmm. see more consistency um, on both ends of the ball. Yeah, and I think he's he's going to do. I I think he's the right guy for the job. That he just signed the extension. Yeah. I say like a month ago or something about that, or somewhere around that time. Excuse me. Uh, but no, he's done. I think he's done a decent job. But this is the year where you want to see that little bit of jump. You want to see them compete in games with San Diego State or Boise State. And you want to see guys on the field actually look the part. I mean, you go back to that Boise State game. It looked like guy like men playing against the high school team. Some of their their defensive line almost outsized uh, half of our half of a uh, UNLV's linemen. You know, yep. they, you so you want to see them start looking the part too, uh, especially on the field. But uh, I think they're headed in the right direction. And you know, it's funny you got the uh, you talk about Sanchez. You got the old UNLV football uniform in the corner over here. I mean, there's such an improvement over those things, man. Right? Right? I, I hated those <laughs> uniforms. Thought they were ugly. Uh, but no, he's done a great part, and social media has been a big deal too. I mean, yep. he's gotten them some cool promo package. When you go to the games, they have great mm-hmm. hype videos. They have great introduction been videos. Been mentioned on ESPN multiple times, national yep. ESPN with a couple stories. Yep. Whether it was the uh, message board for a kid who got a scholarship or the weightlifting video uh, back of the summer, they've done a really good job. I've also heard people say, "Oh, well, you know, when Sanchez if he turns around, he's going to bolt for the first job." And I tell people this: great. That means that. Yep. That exactly. means that we are back up to something respectable. And <laughs> if his motivation is, and I assume it is, to get a Power 5 conference job at some point, mm-hmm. that's good because he's left the program in a better state than it was well, before, and people know about it. And when he's coaching for, let's say, you know, know Mississippi State or Ole Miss mm-hmm. or Purdue, people will mention that he used to coach at UNLV, and it just kind of improves the profile of the program and as in a positive light versus firing everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, So if he would leave in two years because – you know, if he had gone to two bowls, I would consider that awesome in my book. Oh, of course. I completely agree with you. But there's also the chance. What if he never goes? I mean, think about it. True. You have a stadium on the way, whether it's going to be a professional one or just a UNLV-based one, which will help you in terms of Power 5 just attractiveness. They've been flirting with the Big 12 for a while. You so know, they, they tried, in mm-hmm. right? But you had a state-of-the-art stadium. You had the fact that maybe they go to a bowl game two years in a row and they actually get a little bit better. UNLV basketball is on the uptick. I mean, if they move to a Power 5 conference, you start getting Power 5 money. I mean, who knows? Maybe he never leaves and he builds something crazy here and it's actually going to be something good. And in eight years, they're competing, <clears throat> excuse me, for like a Pac 12 South title. Yeah, I think you're really saying any coach saying a gold mine here with what you could do yeah. with Las Vegas and recruiting. And, and Sam Boyd Stadium is way off in the boonies and it sucks to go out and see. It's not, it's not impressive. But if they get that new stadium on campus, right next to this next to the strip all of a sudden this is going to be a destination that is going to be unique for a recruit when they go to their oklahomas their nebraskas their usc's that all kind of look the same and then you come down to a stadium on the strip in las vegas mm-hmm. and you're like man i want to go there yep. so i think it's an advantage for a coach like sanchez who's younger who's dialed into that who's been in this community at bishop gorman i think he can use that to his advantage and really uh really capitalize on it oh yeah of course 100 percent. there's a lot of potential here and you know that's why it's so cool to be out here. It's it's cool to watch this city grow. I've been out here since I was about two. I actually wasn't born here. I was okay. in Santa Ana, uh, but we we were out here since I was about two or three. And uh, it's it's really neat to watch it grow. And now it's slowly becoming a professional sports team. Which going back to the beginning of our conversation, which also played into why I didn't want to leave ESPN. It's growing so much, and we're getting hockey, and we might get yep. NFL, and UNLV might get better, and with T-Mobile, who knows what happens with the NBA? Okay, that's a whole other podcast. We yep. talk about the Raiders, yeah, yeah, right? <laughs> but, but that was part of the reason why maybe I just yeah. didn't want to make the jump because there'd be so many cool things. But they could be the official cool. radio station of the Raiders. Yeah, of like, course. Really? You know, there, there could be an NFL post game show that I could have my name on. Who knows? Mm-hmm. But I decided to make the jump. But uh, yeah, Las Vegas is growing, and I think Sanchez is doing a great job tapping into it. And like I said, in five years, when they actually have a stadium, because he's confident too, if the NFL stadium falls through he can get 200 million dollars it's in the legislation right yeah, so yeah. that if it, the raiders back out or if that plans fall through the basically 
reverts to a UNLV mm-hmm. funded stadium for a lot cheaper, a, a smaller smaller spectrum of a stadium. But then UNLV would have to raise, like you said, $200 million. To tap into the, the tax fund. Yep. Yeah, and right. then it would be their own yep. home. They would have to share it with the Raiders. Potentially on campus, open air, different. Yeah, but no, I mean, they'd be great. It'd be great for them. So either way, UNLV should work. Should it should work out well for you know oh, yeah. depending on whatever it's, happens. It's, to it's set up for them now. If you can only figure out your athletic department and your five million dollar but deficit and all that stuff, then you know, maybe when you get into a real athletic director in there, then maybe they sold some happen. tickets. Yeah, but uh, yeah, let's uh, transition over quickly. Uh, Dave and I are big NFL fans. We've been talking football, and on the air, I know I'm aware that you're a Colts fan. Yes, uh, Dave is a Broncos fan. So you guys can battle for Peyton Manning's hand right now if you yeah. want. I'm a Packer fan, uh, as people listen to the show know. Uh, so what is your Colts fandom? What do you think about Ryan Grigson getting canned? How did Chuck Pagano survive? And what do you see going forward this season for the Colts? What do you expect as a Colts fan? Uh, okay, it was long overdue for Grigson. It really was. If you look back at some of his decisions, I mean, the big one, obviously, everyone goes back to is Trent Richardson and the first, you know, the, the first round pick for him. Uh, but you just look at the way he's drafted. And there's, a, I believe it was the 2015 draft, uh, not a single defensive player he drafted still on the roster. Uh, wasted first-round picks like a guy like Philip Dorsett, who's actually a talented wide receiver out of Miami, uh, but that's not what you needed at the time, yep. right? And so you look at the way he's drafted, you look at some of the free agent signings that he's had, uh, Dequel Jackson, he's been their leading tackler, but he's old, he's ancient, didn't really move uh, well. Their linebacking core was just dreadful to watch last year. One of the worst linebacking courses in the entire league. Is Eric Walden still on the Colts? Uh, I hope not. Damn, you know, it's a good question. <laughs> Former Packer, he had a cup of coffee during the Super Bowl year in yeah. 2011. And oh, of then... course, and then Grigson swooped him up. <laughs> yeah. It was ridiculous, swooped him up. Uh, I don't believe he's on the team Probably anymore. not because he sucks. Yeah, but... uh, they're, they're revamping everything. But no, he needed to go. And on top of that, uh, a lot of the people have really followed the situation closely, uh, especially during the first two or three years. The offensive line, has gotten a little bit better these last this last year especially and in Grigson did have a hand in that he drafted Ryan Kelly at center he drafted Wrights he drafted Muhort uh, so those are guys that are in play so he's done some good things but a lot of the decisions he had weren't good and he also he got his fingers a lot into lineups he actually there was reports that him and Pagano would get into it over starting offensive lines and Pagano would tell him I don't want this and he goes no we're doing this and then Andrew Luck would proceed to get destroyed yeah your number right. one asset yep. to protect mm-hmm. obviously he tried to get a lot of line which is smart but at the same time he's meddling with the coach mm-hmm. who has some shaky decisions you can argue ar- yeah, argue Pagano's credibility but it's tough to coach when you're getting second guessed from the front office yep. whether it be a Dan Snyder or Jerry Jones or GM so. yep and in the fact that the day he got fired uh, Pat McAfee, a former Colts punter who actually retired a couple weeks ago, uh, the first tweet that he sends out is something along the lines of good riddance. And he was very vocal about it. And there were several tweets afterwards saying, I've watched that man treat people like garbage. I'm glad he's out of here. Nobody here liked him. There was a sense, there was a report that there was a quote, sense of relief in Indianapolis once he got fired. So, I mean, that guy was kind of, it sounds like the guy was kind of a cancer. Yeah. So not not only was he not drafted well, not only was he not signing people, or at least the right free agents, he was also just affecting the entire organization. And so once he's gone, you you finally get a good guy in there uh, from Kansas City, which I don't know why I can't remember his name. Uh, but uh, I know John Dorsey at Kansas City is the GM, one of his yeah. protégés. He's a former Packer protégé of Ted Thompson, so there's okay, a lot of guys out there. I'll Google this real quick. But you actually, you know, you get a good guy in there. Yeah. Uh, and then now this is this turns into Pagano's year. This turns into okay. Oh, this is a make or break for Pagano, yeah, right? It, I would think so. I mean, this is the okay. We have gotten rid of the guy who you say is meddling in your affairs. This is your year. You're in full control. What can we do? And I mean, you go back to back eight and eight seasons. One year, your quarterback position was a mess because Andrew Luck got hurt. Last year, you had Andrew Luck all year long. Yep. So now it's your turn. Okay, fix the defense. That's what we brought you in for, and it sucks. 
So let's go and figure this out because we need to start winning because you don't want to waste years. Uh, and they're a good offense. It's the defense that holds them back. And so now it's it's Pagano's year this year. So it's going to be interesting to see. I, I think they're going to be better than 8-8, eight eight, you would hope, but it depends on free agency and the draft, which are coming up. So that'll be a big one. Yeah, and uh, similar situation where you have Andrew Luck. As a Packer fan, people always say you're wasting Aaron Rodgers years, mm-hmm. right? So you're kind of five years behind that, behind the Rodgers thing where Rodgers won one, which is a big monkey off his back, but Packer fans in general, which I sometimes take uh, – um, take up a problem with is when they get all bitchy and moany about, Oh, you know, we should be winning. It's like, we can't win every year. Mm. Now, granted, I don't agree with everything Ted Thompson does, but at the same time it's very rare for a team to go to the playoffs basically every year since Favre, except for two years. And lose close games <laughs> yeah, yeah. Every time yeah, exactly. Too, yeah. So it's, do you want to be the Lions and the Browns and never be good? Or mm. do you want to consistently have a solid organization that drafts well, that keeps their own, that doesn't waste money in free agency? Should they go out and sign more guys sometimes? Yeah, probably. But other times they've kept guys because they haven't done that. And the guy drafted Aaron Rodgers. You know, mm-hmm. and people bash Ted Thompson. It's like, what do you want from the guy? I mean, that that alone itself, he had, he had an idea and forced far about the door. And a lot of people did not like that in Wisconsin. That yep. was a 60-40 people hated, actually more, 70-30 pro Pro Favre at the time. Oh, really? I was on the Pro Rogers side because I understand the business side of it. Of and I love it. Brett Favre. He's my favorite player. I was nine years old in 1991 when he took over, or 92, yeah. I should say. That was the year when he took over from Mikowski. So from when I was 10 years old until I'm 35 now, Favre and Rogers have started basically every single game. As yeah, a, you're as pretty a, lucky. That's so pretty nice. I could yeah. be a fan of the Browns or the Bears. So yeah. when you hear these people bitch and like, Thompson needs to go and this and that, it's like, who would you hire? What would be your next course of action? Mm. All the top GMs in the league. You're John Snyder, John Dorsey, Reggie McKenzie. Those three guys all were assistants under Ted Thompson before they got those jobs. So if you're going to go out and get someone, you'd probably look at those guys and ask them to come back. And they probably have a similar philosophy when it comes to scouting, mm-hmm. when it comes to player evaluation, free agency. Now they, they'll tweak things differently because everybody's their own per- person. But I laugh when people are like, get rid of Thompson, get rid of him. It's like, what's your plan? Mm-hmm. Who are you going to get? And going forward, okay, we'll see how it works. So um, Thompson will retire in a few years. We'll see what happens, but Colts and Packers, similar parallels with the really stud quarterback, and you don't want to waste their prime years, and you want to se- surround them with guys that'll you know help them win. Yeah, so. Chris Ballard, by the way, the guy out of the Chris Kansas Ballard, City that's they just got. I didn't yep. know his first name. I didn't know his name, but I knew he's from Kansas City. So now, it's looking up. I'm excited for this coming year. I mean, football season goes by so quick, man. I always tell we were talking about that. I, yeah. In my column, you go back and read them. I always talk about how I get depressed yeah. as we get closer to when September hits. It's like super fast from September to February, and now starting now it goes like. Time goes twice as fast, yeah. or twice as slow, I should say. So, oh, see, I, actually, I love I love the NBA. So this is about the time where I start getting. I enjoy the NBA, NBA playoffs and, yeah. and NHL playoffs, and I'm a big college basketball fan, big Badger basketball fan. So mm-hmm. I enjoy March Madness and things like that. And the Badgers kind of take over for me when the Packers and Badger football is done. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's not the same as every week, you know, and placing your bets and going on to the South Point for a cheap plug here for you on that yeah. uh, is uh, is is good for us. So. Let's uh, let's wrap this up. We've had you here longer than I thought. That's gone no, pretty well. Yeah. So we're gonna wrap it up with a little. And I haven't run these names by. We're gonna steal from Colfield and Company here, okay. which is actually stolen from the Levitard show. We're gonna play douche or no douche. Okay. And I have not run these names by JBT, and he may have edited out some of the stuff we we mentioned. But I'm gonna run by some names. Uh, if you listen to the show or are familiar with JBT, some of these names will be familiar. So I'm gonna start with number one. I'm sure you know why. Mm-hmm. Steve Colfield, douche or no douche. Uh, okay. Uh... I'll go no douche on that one. Steve, I, I owe Steve a lot. Steve actually taught me quite a bit. Uh, he's he's nicer than he seems, but he also gets under your skin a lot. Uh, so I'll go no douche. 
Uh, I owe Steve a lot, but he wishes he puts out the projection of being a douche, but actually I could see where I mean, like on yeah, the, the radio, guy owns, <laughs> the guy owns cats, so you know <laughs> yeah. you can't be that big of a douche. Yeah, right? yeah. yeah. Number two, and this is probably the most polarizing figure on yeah. Cofield and Company, Adam Hill, douche oh, or def- not? Oh, definitely a douche, <laughs> because of his his snootiness sometimes. You right? know, he, he's he's a lot. He's smarter than you. He's smarter than you. He's smarter than me. Uh, but no, he, he actually. And the thing that sucks is he actually is smart. So that's what bugs you about it, right? He acts smarter than you, and he actually is smarter than you. At least a lot of people. He's smarter than me. Uh, but no, nah, I, I like Adam, but no, I'll go with douche because he, uh, he's smarter than me and he acts smarter than me, which makes me even more mad. And I assume he got the most complaints that people call that they'd bitch about him more than any you know, other person. I always, I always use this for Adam and I'm proud of this. I always compare Adam to a tuna sandwich. People hate tuna or they love tuna, right? There's no really in between. There's no one's like, I, I, I'm okay. I could do either. No, you either hate it. You love it. And that's Adam Hill. I mean, a lot of he's tuna. He's a tuna sandwich. A lot of people really love him, but the people who hate him just can't stand him. Man. Yeah. I'm the, I'm probably the opposite of most people. I agree with 90% of his political stuff, which yeah. polarizes a lot of the listeners in the show. <laughs> he comes on so strong. Yeah. yeah. So I agree with him. Probably nine out of 10 things he says about politics, but I probably disagree. A, he's a Michigan fan, which mm. is disgusting. He's a Michigan fan who's clearly who's not from Michigan, I guess. From what I on the show, his family's from there, and there's a lot of people like, like I guess, as a Wisconsin fan, Michigan. You know, obviously they're successful, but they're yeah. over rivals. And uh, his Bill stuff is hilarious. This Tyrod Taylor of fascination uh, is, is great. Yeah, but uh, one of the reasons why I can't wait till next year. I mean, <laughs> I, I like Adam, but I cannot wait to see Tyrod Taylor kind of flame out wherever he goes. Oh yeah, next. that's why I don't get. It's like I consider Adam pretty smart, but his take on Tyrod Taylor, in my opinion, he always relies on the. He's like he's great at throwing the deep ball, and I'm like that's awesome. That's all his but stats when, you are. Watch, when you watch <laughs> him actually read a deep defense it's kind of like oh my first read's not there all right i'm out yeah but yeah, so. hey, adam if i don't know he, he might not listen he's too much of a he's too he's too smart this. <laughs> i do enjoy his ufc stuff he's, he's yeah, a great, no, UFC he's great. Guy. Yeah, yeah. we do a lot of ufc stuff on this show so uh props to him uh like i said uh this is just all in fun here so mm-hmm. the next one is um people might not know this name but i do kent davenport from hearing aid <laughs> douche or no do she uh this guy runs ads on espn radio and i will say right now that i actually turn my radio to the fm channel when he starts talking so kent davenport from uh he's a hearing aid guy i'm not going to mention his company to give him any free publicity but douche or no do oh man i think i'm gonna go i don't work there anymore she's so not an advertiser so i'll go douche right and he's got the one commercial he's like what's all he trying to accomplish just piss off half is that people that buy stuff from yeah, him it's funny the, the, the thing behind those is so it's you know you won't mention his company it's technically not a political ad because obviously every single time it's something political. Like one of his, one of his ones that I love so much is, you know, you see all the people protesting, but you won't see any deplorables because they have to get up and go to work in the morning. Like, and he's selling hearing aids, which is, I guess you've yeah. got the old crowd and they're like, you tell him old man, well, I guess. The like, thought is, like, is that, cause I've actually asked people in the building about him. The thought is that he's just like a rich Trump supporter and you can't put political ads on the air. So he just puts out a political ad and then at the end goes, I sell hearing aids. And then, yeah. so technically it's a commercial. But I think uh, the theory is that he's just a rich guy who wants to get his message out there, and he owns a company, so he's like, yeah, I'm just going to put these out there for you. And politics aside, I mean, it's so annoying that I literally, if they want to test market research for their marketing, yeah. I literally flip to FM, I will flip the channel, mm-hmm. and then come back, and normally it's always on 1100 when, yeah. I'm, when I'm driving around. When he comes on, I literally flip the channel out of just spite, I guess. Yeah, or whatever, as long but. as the check's clear. I mean, <laughs> yeah. he's burning his money, but yeah. All right, number four on the list here, Wisconsin native Mitch Moss, douche or no douche? Mm. You know, I, I, I'm going to go, I'll go douche because he likes to hobnob it out with all the uh, the rich folks and gets his yeah, comps right. and loves his Starbucks coffee. And yeah, I'll go douche on Mitch. He uh, also acts too cool for me sometimes. It, it stems from a parking lot incident where he tried to out macho me and gotcha. I squashed that. Like I said, I, I, as a fellow Wisconsin person, I can call him out on his douchey Kentucky love, which <laughs> I mean, cool. That's great. But 
then you can't say you're a Wisconsin fan in my book. It's you pick one or the other. Yeah. You know, I understand that Wisconsin was bad when he was a kid, but at the same time, I consider that a little douchey. Next on the list, Taylor Byrne, former co-host mm. of Cofield and Company. Is he living in Europe now, I believe? Yeah, he lives in the Czech Republic now. That's what I heard. And yep. he, he was uh he former writer for the Las Vegas Sun. Yep. Yep. Douche or no douche on Taylor uh, Byrne? I'll go no douche. He actually helped me out a lot when it came to uh, learning how to write. Uh, AP style is something that is somewhat complex. And every time I wrote, he would actually read it and kind of edit it for me before I put it up on the website. So I'll go no douche. And when a guy follows his girlfriend to Europe, you can't call him a douchebag. So. She must be pretty hot. <laughs> Next up on the list, Tina Kunzer Murphy. Douche oh, or no douche? Man, I'm not going to pile on. I'll go no douche. She's already got enough going actually, on. Actually, I know Tina used to work for her, yeah. and I, she's a friend of mine, but a lot of people don't like her. But yeah, I actually, clearly. Tina's always great to me if she's listening, which I guarantee she's not. Yeah. Tina's great, but obviously there have been some problems with UNLV. Not all her fault. But no. at the same time, uh, and also she's very, uh, as you know, very uh, strong personality. Mm-hmm. So people that meet her sometimes get the wrong impression about her. But uh, yeah, we can we can put her in the no douche category since I know her as well. And also, if Marvin Menzies and Tony Sanchez both actually work out, I thought the Tony doesn't Sanchez, get a lot of credit for yeah. it. <laughs> he just didn't get any credit You're for You're right. It. She's going to be out the door here this year. Yeah. And then if Sanchez the next couple of years does well, that's on her. She, mm-hmm. I thought she did a great job of taking a chance when instead of hiring a retread, yeah. some guy looking for a paycheck like... Uh, I know they're looking at uh, was it? Who not? I'm thinking of Steve Lavin for basketball. Who is the uh, coach from uh, that they're looking at for football? That was a retread. I'm trying to think. Not. A, I can't think of the name right now. Mm. But anyway, I'm glad that she didn't just go out and get some guy looking for a paycheck. Yeah. Some guy that take a chance, roll the dice. What do you have to lose? No one's going to the games anyway. Yeah. So might as well take a chance on Sanchez. So I give her credit for that. All right, few more here. Douche or no douche? Clay the producer. Oh, no, douche. I like Clay. Clay's awesome. I also didn't get to work with Clay a lot, to be honest with you, because know, he would he come the in. He was before shift, right? Yeah, he was 11 to 1 or 11 to 2, and he would be in early, and then I would always just be in my office, and I didn't get to see Clay a lot. But Clay has a son. He's a really cool son. So I'll go no douche on Clay Baker, nice. the MVP. He's the MVP. That's right. RJ Bell, douche or no douche? I'm going to pass on that one. <laughs> No, I'm just kidding. I like RJ. No, no, no. Uh, RJ, no, RJ's a, he's another one of those smart guys, you know, just like Adam. Uh, so I'll go no douche. A lot of people really like RJ. I can't do my my buddy has an impression of him. Like, yeah. the way he talks is that. You know whatever. Like, yeah. he has a very, when he's on the radio, my buddy's like, you know, the guy with that, like, sing songy voice? Because he doesn't really pay attention to names. I'm like, RJ Bell, like, yeah, that's the guy. Yeah. But uh, yeah, uh, pretty fam- he's become famous now with not big with Cal- uh, Coward and stuff like that in the national yeah, scene. So. Even on the weekends, I'll be flipping through and I'll, I'll be hearing him on I don't even know random NBC program on, at like seven p.m. on a Saturday. So no, I, RJ, I'll go no douche. He's another smart guy and he's actually got a lot of good info when you listen to him. Yeah, a couple more on the list and we'll wrap this up. All right, Polly Howard, douche or no douche? Mm. The Million Dollar Man, right? Yeah, Million Dollar Man. Um, I'll go no douche on Polly too. I actually used to help Polly out behind the scenes sometimes when he had, when he needed sound and everything. And it's funny, I got I got one email on my last day, and the subject said Paul, and I opened it it's from Paul Howard. He goes, "Thanks for giving me sound all the time." That's like, cool. That was cool his goodbye like to me. Yeah. Yeah, so I was like, "All right, cool." Thanks. I actually Paul. enjoyed yeah. him, Mitch, and Seat when they had that. Yeah, Gridlock was great. That was a great show. And not knocking Pritch or anything, but I liked the dynamic of that show a little bit because there mm. was real. We talk about real tension on, yeah. on Cofield. There was that real tension. Mitch uh, and Pritch get into it. A li- they've been getting into it a yeah, little more often, uh, the, which has been good. It's pretty good. To the it's, point where yeah. Pritch took a vacation, and people are thinking that he's mad over uh, yeah. last week's blow up over UNLV. They had an argument. If you're not a ESPN 1100 listener. 
Mitch took the stance that Menzies what you know wasn't doing as good of a job. Yeah, you, or, you need to demand somewhat of improvement. They're regressing. And yep. Pritch is like, "Be I don't care what happens this year. This is a complete yep. throwaway." And Mitch is like, "How can you have that?" And they got like in a pretty heated argument on the air. Yeah, like so, the, the best one is they were arguing over the stadium, <laughs> and I can't remember what happened where they were just going back and forth. And Pritch starts saying something, and all of a sudden he just stops. He goes, "You want to take a break?" <laughs> And, and and Mitch is like we can take a break right now and like like Code it for was, we'll go outside. Well, yeah. it was great because in in Pritch you know Pritch is the ex athlete so yeah. sometimes when Mitch gets under his skin the ex athlete comes out where he'll be like he's like what's he, oh you want to take a break right now man what's going on? It, it's pretty funny to watch and you know they're they're actually developing that chemistry so they're gonna be really cool you know they've I think it's only been about a year and a half now a year yeah and a half about or something yeah, like that yeah. that they've been together I think yeah. Pritch is still finding his voice because he's really solid when it comes to football and everything mm-hmm. I think he's learning to. Uh, you know, have more of a personality in other things where obviously it's not his forte. His, his specialty is football, but he's lived that athlete life. So you get that sort of perspective on what it's like to be an ex-athlete, what it's like, you know, after you're out of the game and things mm-hmm. like that. He's talked pretty candidly. So I enjoy him on there. Different dynamic though yeah. than the, uh, than the gridlock show before this. All right. Uh, we'll do. And the last one is your average sports radio caller. Oh, douche. Okay. Callers, callers call in. Like I, I got a call. Yeah, I'm not, and not, not, we're not trying to rag on because these are obviously people that you know, you know keep you in business and keep, yeah, no, of course. But you know, sports talk radio callers sometimes. So douche or no douche for the average, average caller that calls into the show for you. Average callers are actually no douche because usually if you call, then you obviously enough. you're going to be on the airwaves, which means you're not going to really usually say anything uh, inflammatory or be kind of a d bag. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've had a couple here and there. Uh, we actually, it's funny. Uh, I won't mention his name, but we actually have a. Uh, a guy who's on a barter show in town who calls it under fake names all the time. And, uh, you know, so when you do stuff like that, it's kind of douchey. But the average callers know because their voice and their name are out. So they usually – now, the text line, that's where the scourge of the earth comes in. It's like you know, a message just, board yeah, because people can just fire off anything. Exactly. And, and we, we see their phone numbers, but you don't see name. You don't know who it is. And you can write back, but that's really all it is. Uh, so the text line is really where you get, like, the scum of the earth and, like, the, the people who text in and, you know, tell Adam, shut the bleep up or it just comments, rude things, it's like everything. Facebook, it's yep. like uh, Facebook comments or message boards where yeah. people are big – big time keyboard warriors when mm. they don't have to put their face in front or even talk to someone about exactly. that might challenge them on it and say whoa what are you yeah. talking sometimes they'll, someone on in cofield will challenge them on it and say whoa 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 like wh- where are you going with this sort of thing mm. as opposed to just being able to fire off a, a text or a comment yep. on a website and then just have it be there and talk a bunch of shit yeah, exactly so. when, when you start doing that on the air then you actually get like you said fired back on or said something to <laughs> yeah it. then it's, it's like easy oh. to just text it in and ignore whatever comes back just like oh, i'm okay yeah so I mean, we keep talking for another hour. Obviously, I'd like to have you back on maybe in a couple months after you get yeah, for uh, sure, after you get uh, your feet wet there at uh, Vizen. Am I saying that right? Vizen. Vizen. Yeah. A long, a long V, a strong V. Yeah. V S small I N. If you're looking online, um, let's plug all your stuff. So uh, I have some dates written down. February 27th is a day where everything kind of really goes live for you yeah, guys. That's where we go on the air Monday, February 27th. Uh, start full time on the 20th. A lot of behind the scenes stuff, but uh, yeah. And then uh, I, I read online you guys are in the process of developing a website, but you guys are going to be on Sirius XM and radio. So you can I wrote down the channels here, channel 215 on Sirius, mm-hmm. channel 204 on XM, and then also you guys are going to be rolling out an app as well, it sounds like. Oh, look at that. I didn't know about that one. 
Uh, it sounds like an app where you could stream off that. I okay, sh- cool. I, I, I did my research. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you, you know more than I do. <laughs> yeah, so it sounds like there's going to be a, a website with yeah. some online content, which I'm sure uh, you website might be is up and running. Up actually, right now, uh, from what I understand, Matt Humans uh, does some writing. So does Norm Clark. So gotcha. you can go up and find a couple pieces on there right now. And it sounds like for me, I don't have XM Radio. Mm. Serious. I'd like to actually. I'm a big Hartstern fan, so that'd yeah. be a good reason to get it. Yeah, but uh, but now, um, if you don't have XM, it sounds like from what I read on the website, there'll be some sort of app where you could stream it off of that, an app. and we'll be uh, actually simulcast on VC on Facebook. So awesome. if you go like VSIN on Facebook, it'll be simulcast on video. Uh, so you can check it out there as well. Gotcha. And then uh, let's plug any Twitter. Your Twitter, what's uh, your Twitter handle at? Uh, I'm at MeJVT. Gotcha. And uh, Twitter, I think it's at uh, VSIN, right? Is VSIN it? Live. At VSN Live. And then follow you know Brent Musburger. If you're a Brent Musburger fan, I yep. totally... Uh, have you support you checking out the endeavor if you're at, at the south point go down to the south point they have a beautiful new studio down there they made right to the right of the sports book you can go down there you can watch you guys do your thing it's yep. a glass thing so if you're uh want to stalk brett musburger within the confines of uh yep, staring at him during his thing you can do that um but i'm really excited uh, being a las vegas resident uh, being a fan of sports radio sports media new venture here will be a lot of good content and uh i really appreciate you joining us yeah no i appreciate you guys having me on this is uh, really cool I'll come on anytime you need me. thanks john yeah, thank you